Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome. My name's uh, Matt Fuller. I'm one, one of the uh, pastors, ministers uh, here at church. I don't know what it is that uh, you're really hoping for this Christmas, what's made it onto the, uh, the great wish list. I enjoyed a letter in The Economist uh, last week, Dear Santa, this year for Christmas. Please, could I have a big, fat bank account and a nice, slim body? And please don't get the two of them confused like last year. But just for a few minutes, I really want to ask you, what do you make of Jesus Christ? What do you make of him? There is a great deal of confusion about what to make of Jesus. So uh, apparently, uh, Paul Dunn uh, recently, 10 to 13-year-olds, only a third of 10 to 13-year-olds in the UK knew that Christmas was to celebrate the birth of Christ, of Jesus, which may or may not surprise you. But lots of ignorance around. The, um, although younger children seem to do a bit better. They've done their nativities, obviously, uh, a bit more recently. So I enjoyed a few observations. Zoe, uh, age six. Jesus is really old. His birthday was 2,014 years ago. Uh, Jay, age five. Jesus was a king. And he wore a crown even when he was a baby. It was a very small crown. Probably knitted by his nan. <laughs> uh, Jack, age four. Uh, wise men, they brought the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, that was silly. Jesus was a baby. He'd have much preferred Lego, <laughs> which is possibly true. Uh, and uh, on it goes. Now, I don't know what you make of him. Everyone knows that Jesus was a man who existed in the first century. You won't find a credible historian in the world to deny his existence, that there was a man born. must have been before 4 BC, because that's when Herod died. Uh, we know that the date Quirin, uh, Quirinius was the, uh, the, the guy in charge who had that read from Luke's reading. We know roughly when his death must be. All the secular sources will tell you there was a man who gathered followers, claimed to do miracles, and when he died upon a cross, his followers got very excited. You won't find a credible historian denying any of that. But who is he? What do we make of him? And there's great confusion amongst adults. Uh, YouGov had nothing better to do, I guess. They did a poll recently, uh, beginning of December. Uh, it was reported in the papers. Um, what would Jesus' political views be? And uh, they asked people, they asked them of that P, uh, the, uh, the people they went and interviewed, uh, what are your, who would you vote in the next election at the moment? And then they said, what do you think Jesus would have thought about in a whole number of issues? No, 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 great surprise. The Jesus that people thought of had the same political views as them. So those who said, yes, I'm probably going to vote for UKIP, and what do you think Jesus would have said about immigration? He would have been very much against immigration, uh, they said. Those of a more liberal mindset, of course, he'd have welcomed one and all. And what do you think Jesus would have said about nationalisation? Well, unsurprisingly, those who vote Tory said, oh, he'd have been definitely against that, all for standing on your own two feet. And those who are perhaps more inclined to vote Labour said, oh, he'd have loved it. First of all, the railways, that would have been the first thing that Jesus would have nationalised. And what, do you, and what, is it, what a waste of time. YouGov, clearly uh, um, their offices were slack that week. Because all it tells you is what's very obvious. We make God in our own image. No, I don't know what you think about Jesus Christ or God. But most people assume if there's a God, he's a bit like, do you know what? Shockingly, he's a bit like me on a good day. 
Not a grumpy day, because God doesn't do grumpy, obviously. But when I have a good day, God's a bit like me. He has the same opinions as me. He has the same values as me. What a lovely bloke that God is. Like me. Unsurprisingly, people project themselves onto God. They create a God in their own image. Which is why we need God to tell us what he is like. Otherwise, we'll just mold him into the, uh, the picture, the idea that we have in our head. We need God to tell us. Uh, happily, he does so. I'm just going to speak for a few minutes on the, the second of the readings that we had. Uh, the birth of Jesus. You may want to turn it back. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Poor Joseph. Um, how disappointing for the man. He's engaged to be married. No doubt there's some excitement about that. But uh, can you imagine his uh, anger? His shock, his frustration, his humiliation, his bride-to-be is pregnant. What do you do? It's a shame culture. You do that today, well, you know, oops. But back then, disaster. You know, all his life, you go and see Joseph the carpenter and his son. <laughs> and uh, everyone knows that. How, what do you do? So Joseph, very polite, we're told. He's a good guy, Joseph. He found Mary to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, he was a righteous man, didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Just quietly go about it. And then an angel appeared to him. As they do. Now, I take it most of us here have not had an angel appear to us. Although it's London and there are lots of people of different persuasions. Probably some of you here have had uh, in your mind an angel appear to you. You probably uh, think in those terms. But it's not normal back then, of course. You get angels around the birth of Jesus. We sing of angels, but not when he grows up. Why so at his birth? Because this is not an ordinary child. The exceptional has happened. So no great surprise that the extraordinary takes place around his birth. But two names... Two names get highlighted by Matthew for us in this passage. Two names going to be given to Jesus. Sorry, to this baby. Jesus and Emmanuel. I just want to think of those two names. Because names have meanings. Less so today. Names just go in fashion. So whatever is fashionable, you generally get uh, those names crop up. So this year, 2014, unsurprisingly, once again, the most popular boy's name is uh, uh, Muhammad. Uh, most popular girl's name, Sophia. Uh, and then, of course, they're the cranks. So uh, as I read through the reports uh, of uh, 2014, three boys in the UK this year have been named Cheese. <laughs> what are you playing at? <laughs> and I guess if you're called Cheese, that's hard cheese for your life. Uh, others um, uh, others uh, uh, perhaps uh, a bit more uh, exciting. There was one, uh, one boy called Danish, which is not too bad. I can't find, you, you probably get sick and tired growing up, don't you? Hello, I'm Danish. Ah, oh, what's your name? Yeah, there we go. Um, there was one Leviathan I quite liked. Leviathan. I don't know what you, Levi, I don't know what you, Lev, I don't know what you call yourself. But names, they generally have meanings. Although, again, some I, I, uh, my favourites uh, from the news earlier this year, here's just a, a few of my favourites. The names do have, sometimes have meanings, and we've got them uh, coming up. There's the BBC Europe correspondent, whose name is Matthew Correspondent. <laughs> and what do you do if you grow up in the correspondent family? What do you want to be when you grow up, Matthew Correspondent? I want to be a correspondent. And there he is, uh, still working for the BBC as them, and uh, others of a similar ilk. Actually, not quite the same. I enjoyed this one on CNN. Do you see that? Dr. Joel Rollo Coaster. 
And she's apparently a Vatican expert. I just don't go there. The uh, one for the lawyers, I quite like this one. Uh, Sullivan and Cromwell, LLP. One of their employees. Yes, it's Sue Yu. <laughs> Gotta love that. Would, some of you are lawyers. Would you employ Sue Yu or is that just a bit intimidating? I don't know. But you've got to love that one. Uh, and then, of course, you do get the crank pots every now and again. So there's... Uh, I don't know what his name was originally, but there he is, living in Singapore. Batman bin Superman. Although he's spelling a Superman, he doesn't even get it right. But um, names, names, names. Enough of that. Two names. Two names we get given here in this passage. Joseph is told that this boy is to call Jesus... And he'll also be known as Emmanuel. Let's just look at that. Jesus. Jesus, first of all. There it is in verse 21. Joseph is told, your wife Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus. That's what it means. Just abbreviated from the Hebrew. Yeah, Yahweh, Yeshua. Jesus saves. Sorry, God saves. That's what it means, the Lord saves from their sins. Now, that's an interesting name. He saves is the prediction. So Joseph isn't told, hey, you're going to have a child, and he'll be really famous, you know, and uh, he'll, um, he'll just tell inspiring stories. Call him teacher. He's not told that. Call him savior is what he's told. Hey, Joseph, you can have a son, and, and lots of people will hear about him, and um, he'll, he'll inspire millions and billions throughout history to follow him. So call him inspiring one. He doesn't say that. Savior. If you're going to be called savior, you better do some saving. That's the whole point of a savior. Jesus, he's not there so we can tell stories about him. He's not there fundamentally so we can learn ethics from him, be inspired by him. This baby came to save. Now, uh, for some reason, uh, despite many failures, I do consider myself reasonable at uh, DIY. And it was a number of years ago now, on, um, we weren't in London, but my in-laws for, on a Christmas Eve. We were spending Christmas with them. And uh, for some reason, there was a dripping tap in the in-laws' house. And at about 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve, it had been annoying me all day long, and I decided to fix it. That's just a very male act of hubris and arrogance to try and do that on Christmas Eve. But anyway, it couldn't be. How hard could it be? Washer, a little bit of tape, it would be fine. I sorted out. No problem. Get the stopcock. It's broken. And water gushed and gushed. And um, I saw my father-in-law in a new light. I'd heard the idiom, if looks could kill. I observed the idiom. The look that could kill. It was Christmas Eve by this time about nine o'clock. What I didn't need, I didn't need some really helpful advice. Have you tried the stopcock? Yes. Mother-in-law, have you tried the stopcock? Yes. Have you? Yes. I don't need advice. I don't need inspiring stories. Let me tell you of a plumber I once knew. Oh, he was a wonderful plumber. What did I need? I needed to spend a ridiculous amount of money getting a plumber out on Christmas Eve. I needed someone to save the rug, the ceiling, the house, from being flooded. I needed a saviour, as it were. I don't need just nice stories. I don't need good advice there. I needed a saviour. That's why Jesus came to save. Not just stories, not advice, to save. 
Well, you think of, it's been a crazy news cycle, hasn't it, this week? You think of the news this week. Those workers in the Lint Cafe in Sydney, do they need good advice? Nice, inspiring story with a madman pointing a gun at them. They did not. They needed someone to rescue them. Well, the 132 children killed in Pakistan in that school, Peshawar, they need an inspiring story. Don't worry, kids. Here's a story that will get you through. They did not. Good advice. They did not. They needed a saviour. One to rescue them. Jesus came to save. Okay, why? What from? Well, he's not got a, what's the issue? Sin. That's what we're told here. She'll give birth to a son. You to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know what you make of uh, that sort of word. Even back then, for Joseph, he'd have been surprised by that. For the Jews of the first century, okay, one is coming, and he's going to save the Jewish nation, save the people. Brilliant. And they all assume it goes a bit like this. He's going to save us. He's going to save us from our conquerors. He's going to save us from our Roman oppressors. He's going to save us from those soldiers that make us live under a military dictatorship. He's going to save us. No, he's going to save you from your sins. Oh. Oh. Well, to be honest, that's a bit piddly. That's obviously not my presenting issue. The Romans are the issue. Living under military rule is the issue. And today we have the same sort of problem. Jesus will save you from your sins. And many of you sit there and think, yeah, thank you very much. That is not my issue. And I look around the world and, well, obviously the issue is, if someone's going to come and save us, can they save us from madmen, from gunmen and terrorists, from wickedness in northern Iraq or Syria or Nigeria? Can you save us from them? Can you save us from an Ebola crisis that's wiping out thousands? If we're going to have a saviour, just the world economy would be useful rather than ruble melting down and goodness knows what happens next. That's what we need. Sin, that's not an issue, is it? Well, according to God, it is the issue. Because everything else flows from that. Do you know, one of the things I love about the Bible is just its realism. Because it says that for you and for me, The problem is inside. It's in our hearts. The line, the dividing line between good and evil runs between, it runs down every human heart. All of us have a problem. You might not want to call it, sin is the Bible's word. You could equally call it selfishness. But that is the problem. Self-absorption. Viewing everything from our own perspective, that's what causes the conflicts, the violence in the world. It's our own selfishness. Two little examples. Um, shopping. I don't know how you're doing with your shopping and how you're going. I don't know if you were involved in um, Black Friday. Uh, if you were, hopefully it was online. It was a bit safer that way. But in the shops, it was nuts. Wasn't it nuts? People sort of headbutting one another over tellies in Asda, fighting in the... And you think, if that was you, I'm sorry. But um, it's mad. What, what, it's a telly. Don't assault another human being for a telly, for goodness sake. You've saved 200 quid. But, you know, just a little bit of stress and the right environment, all of a sudden, very sensible people do crazy things. 
The, uh, the paper tells me, uh, Guardian tells me that uh, uh, Monday is going to be Mayhem Monday in the UK. You've got to have some alliteration, Black Friday or etc. But Mayhem Monday because uh, 38% of the UK population can do their food shopping for Christmas on Monday. And so the article I read said, the battle for food in the aisles will lead to a supermarket chaos. It will be like Armageddon. (laughs) I think that's exaggeration. Before I knew that uh, Monday was Mayhem Monday, my wife has booked me in to go and collect our turkey from M&S. Now, I think the end of the world is going to be a little bit worse than queuing for maybe an hour while munching on some Percy pigs. I think the end of the world (laughs) is going to be more dramatic than that. But people will be, no doubt, having a little bit of rough and tumble to get the last sausage rolls or side of salmon or whatever it may be. Why is that? Why do people lose it over some volivon or mince pies? We just need the right conditions, the right stress that we're under, the right level of, golly, I've got to get this sorted out. And all of a sudden, our selfishness bursts out. It doesn't take long. Or in technology. We live in a, just an unprecedented age, don't we, when 90% of all the traffic on the internet has been chucked up there in the last three years or something crazy like that. The pace of technological change is amazing. And of course, all of us, I would imagine, would say we'd much rather live in the year 2014 than be back in the uh, 1940s in terms of healthcare and communications. Who wants to go back to that? No, I probably no one. And yet, technology, is it good or is it bad? It's neutral, of course. And uh, you read Nature magazine it was in, and 60% of tech experts fully expect that by the year 2025, hackers will have destroyed the world economy, brought it to its knees. Or one major world nation will have had its defenses knocked out and been completely open for attack. They just expect, almost two-thirds of those in the know, just expect that to happen within the next decade. Why? Isn't technology good? No, it's wonderful. It's a tool. But the line of between good and evil runs through every human heart. We have a problem. It's our selfishness, our sin. And if you sit there and think, I don't have a problem. I'm not sinful. I'm not selfish. I don't want to be rude, but I just don't think you know your heart. Back in May, for some reason, just the way these things happen here in church, uh, about a dozen babies were born within the space of a fortnight or something like that. Um, uh, That's not how they give birth. Anyway, but um, so sorry, that's insulting, and I won't make the appropriate noises because then we'll all be uh, embarrassed. But anyway, a large number of babies in a short space of time. Now, the striking thing is, uh, not immediately, but a few weeks in or a few months in, most parents at some point, you ask them, how's it going? And they say, yeah, no, no, it's great. We know we, we love him. We love her very much. I had no idea how selfish I am. Or sometimes, I I had no idea how selfish we are, meaning she is, uh, over there. But all of a sudden, you can't just do what you want, and selfishness pops up, you realize it. Why is it that for most of us, when we come to imagine what God is like, we create him in our own image? It's incredibly narcissistic, really. If there's a God, I think he's like, 
We make him up. Because we don't want a God who challenges us. We don't want God who's a creator who might make demands on us. We don't want that. If there's a God, we want him to be, well, me. Or like me. We have a problem. Jesus, says the angel, you've got to name him that because he'll save, not just tell stories. He'll come into this world to save from sin. That's a problem all of us have. Of course, this baby, he's innocuous, but he grows up and teaches. He teaches, I mean, wonderful, beautiful things that everyone admires and seeks to emulate on the Sermon on the Mount. But it also say, sin is serious. It destroys relationships between humans. It destroys the relationship between an individual and God. And it'll cut you off from him forever. That's what Jesus, I mean, Jesus grows up and calls it hell, being cut off from God forever. Strong language. And that's why we need saving, he says. Call him Jesus. He'll save from sin. And we all need it. Secondly, far more briefly, call him Emmanuel. So uh, a little later on, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. Call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. So all these things have been predicted 700 years earlier in the prophet Isaiah. That's amazing in and of itself. Call him Emmanuel. That's not the name on the birth certificate. The name on the birth certificate is Jesus. But Emmanuel is a good summary. God with us. That's who he is. God with us. It's amazing that he came. People get a bit silly about this time. Do you remember? You wouldn't remember. I don't remember. But uh, 1961, um, some of you might, but I don't. 1961, Yuri Gagarin, first uh, man into outer space. And obviously he had his little flight and came back down. And uh, famously, Nikita Khrushchev at the uh, Communist Conference afterwards said, uh, Gagarin has been into space and he did not see God. Well, he said it in Russian, in a Russian accent, I know. But, um, and saying, look, you know, we sent a man into space and God isn't there. Of course he's not there. He made everything. You can't just find him. Oh, you, one day you open your cupboard. Oh, there you are after all this time. We've been looking for you for years, you know. He doesn't just hide away. He made everything. He's outside his creation. Therefore, to know what God is like, he has to enter in to his creation. And he came. <laughs> So we know what he is like. And he came because he cares. I was very impressed uh, with the British nurse, William Pooley. William Pooley you know, was a 29-year-old male nurse who went out to uh, Sierra Leone to help with the Ebola crisis and uh, contracted the disease. And uh, had to be flown back by the RAF and treated in North London, the Royal Free Hospital, uh, and uh, drew very near to death himself, but uh, has made a recovery and has gone back out. And no one knows whether actually having had the disease, that, that boosts his immunity, or in fact he's incredibly vulnerable and he's likely to die because he won't last as long. No one really knows. But there's something very noble about that, isn't there? To go in the first place, when you know somewhat of the risks, but to go back when you've been seriously ill at the point of death, that's, that's very noble. And he was interviewed in the paper before he went. He simply said, I could not stand idly by while others were dying. And I could do something. 
And God came. So we know what he's like. But also, because he didn't stand idly by. Because he could do something to save us from our sin. He came. And he experienced life in this world. He experienced poverty. You read uh, Luke's gospel, the, uh, the narrative accounts, and when the family go to Jerusalem, they offer the, the pauper's tax. They're penniless, this family. Oh, he experienced poverty. He experiences rejection. People turning their back on him, saying, crucify him as a man. The people who'd been very excited to turn their backs. You'd have to say that God the Father experiences the death of God the Son in Jesus Christ. Oh, he knows what this world is like. He came. He taught. He showed. And he died. So that you and I might be saved from our sin. He took the punishment of sin so we can know the great joy of heaven. He experienced death on a cross so we can live with him forever. He came so we might be saved. Very wonderful. What do you make of Jesus Christ? What do you make of him? The baby in the manger is fairly innocuous, but he grows up, of course. What do you make of the adult? Because the baby, the, the man Jesus Christ, he exchanged the wooden feeding trough for a wooden cross on which he dies. He exchanges the adulation and the excitement of the shepherds and the magi. He exchanges that for the rejection of the crowds and death. What do you make of Jesus Christ? So as I finish, you know, many of us here would be Christians. What do you make of him? Oh, well, you should know this, I'm sure. Jesus, God saves me from my sin. Emmanuel, God come down to reveal his character, to reveal it in his loving action of dying for us. You know that. So for the Christians this Christmas, do, do treat him as such. Don't just form him in your image. Don't just mold him to be amenable. Remember, he is your king. Follow him as such. Let him challenge you. Let him change you. It's very wonderful when he does. But for those who here wouldn't call yourselves Christians in any sense, can I plead with you, please, do you, what do you make of Jesus Christ? Have you ever engaged with him as an adult? I think Luke's gospel is uh, uh, um, on, the, on most of your chairs. Uh, Luke's account of the life of Jesus. You know, it's brilliant history. It really is. You know, Luke in his two-volume, he names 32 different countries, 54 different cities, nine islands that get visited. And every single architectural, cultural detail is precisely accurate. No one debates that. It's very good history. Why not read it? Why not read an account of the life of Jesus? Because you don't want to make a mistake and just miss who he is. Don't just... Make him a projection of your own image, a myth, a story. No, he's a saviour that you need. I've told this to some, but uh, Kerry Packer, some will know that he was a very wealthy Australian. He was the wealthiest Australian man of his time, uh, died a few years ago now. One of the stories that came up in, um, in uh, one of his obituaries uh, when he died was uh, he was travelling with a, a gang of friends through the outback one day, came to a little town, they wanted dinner. They stopped for dinner and um, went into the pub and said, hey, look, here we are, can we uh, get dinner in your pub? And the man said, I'm terribly sorry. We've stopped serving food. No. Oh. 
Undeterred, they crossed the, uh, the street and uh, went to the other pub, the only other pub in the town, and said to the landlord, can we get dinner here? Yeah. Yeah, mate. Yeah, you know, the um, uh, come on in. And uh, they served him dinner. And they had a very enjoyable dinner. And the, the bill came, $280. And uh, Kerry Packer took out his checkbook and wrote a check, $100,280. And said to the landlord, 280 is the food, 100,000 is the tip, one condition. Before you bank it, you need to go and show it to the man across the road and show him my signature. Is that mean or is it kind? I don't know. I've, I've thought about that story. Is that sort of an act of generosity? Is that sort of really arrogant? I don't know. I don't know. But you know, the guy who turned them away initially, you know, it's not unreasonable to say, sorry, we've stopped serving food, but he didn't know who he was talking to. He got the identity wrong of the man who addressed him. That's a silly mistake. It cost him a lot of money. You don't want to get Jesus wrong. Because actually our response to him determines where we spend eternity. That's a big deal. Please, please at least take the time to read Luke's gospel. Come back in the new year. Can I plead with you to do that? It's too important to get wrong. What do you make? Of Jesus Christ. Let me lead us in a short prayer. Father God, thank you that we don't have to guess who you are, but that you have come. You were God amongst us in the man Jesus. And thank you, you didn't just come to share information, you came to save us from our sin. Would we understand, please? Would we understand more of that this Christmas? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.